all your hate all your anger everything that is black and loathsome that dwells inside of you I want you to pour that into me I want you to pour that into me gather yourselves and your strength for me my brothers my sisters my blood and shout Welcome to the Sounds of War, Rock, Rap, and the Spiritual World. This video seminar will examine the muse behind the music, what's going on psychologically as well as spiritually when we enter and engage the world of popular music. Like for most people, music is a big part of my life. And several years ago, I realized that not only is it a great way to communicate and express yourself, it's a profoundly spiritual you could even say religious activity as well. My name is Teron Carter from the Hip Hop Group Grits. In this presentation, we are going to explore that aspect of music's power, and hopefully, it'll help us better understand this crazy adventure we call life. What follows can apply to any kind of music, but we're going to focus specifically on rock and rap, and that includes all its related styles and genres because well, first, this is a 50-minute presentation. We just don't have the time to cover everything. Second, rock and rap are the most popular styles of music, particularly in relation to young people. Like it or not, young people are more impressionable than older people and are therefore more likely to be influenced by these psychological and spiritual forces. And lastly, it's the style of music that has given the greatest place to the darker side of these forces. Whether we're talking about perverse sexuality, hardcore rebellion, or occult spirituality, there's no musical genre more likely to explore these subjects than rock and rap. If you don't believe it, just stay tuned. And finally, understand that we're dealing with a broad, complex, and controversial subject, one that elicits all sorts of passions, objections, and arguments. There's no way I can cover everything in the short time we have. What follows is taken in large part from an eight-part documentary series entitled Hell's Bells 2, The Power and Spirit of Popular Music. If you want to understand the bigger picture or find answers to all your questions, I suggest you check it out. Now, first things first, there are many of you that will say, what's the big deal? What's the purpose for a video like this anyway? After all, it's only music, right? It's all about the environment and what their friends think. I don't think it's about the music. I mean, it, the music might be negative, but then I don't believe that it has any long-lasting, you know, holes on us. Any music that you listen to doesn't really affect your life. It's pretty trivial, you know. Like, you know, not like, oh, go out there and do what they're telling they tell me to do. They're not, you know, enforcing anything on you. They're just saying how they believe. Because they're just doing their life as long as you keep living your life and just listen to the music. That's all it is. Listen and hearing it. You ain't got to do what they do. It's just music, you know? <laughs> I believe that. Perhaps not too surprisingly, most artists feel the same way. I think, I think it's absurd whenever the media tries to blame artists for violence, especially, you know, in the context of something like Columbine, you know, where um, they were saying that there was some kind of a, a violent movement of music that was causing the youth of America to right. turn on each other. You know, I thought that was ludicrous. The messages these bands are getting across, us and anybody, is nothing harmful to anyone whatsoever. It's just feelings that other people have made you feel. I never heard of anybody being able to kill somebody with a CD. You know what I'm saying? When a dude's getting bullied and shoots up the school and they blame it on Maryland. And the heroin, where were the parents at? And 
Yet, when you find them in a more relaxed frame of mind, these same artists will go on and on about how powerful music is, how it can inspire, create beauty, incite revolution, turn people on, change minds, and even change the world. Music is a complete ocean. They hit one note, every hair in your body is going to stand up. Music is made to create beauty in the world, you know. Right. There's, there's always need for more beauty in the world, and that's what music is. Uh, once it goes in, you have really no say about what it does to you. We are able to seduce some people in with the music who then are exposed to a different uh, political message. Basically, I'm writing about my life situations. I'm just trying to crawl, like kind of crawl under people's skin and give somebody give people something to hold on to for a little while. I'm not saying I'm gonna change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the brain that will change the world. It can move, you know, a large group of people. It can inspire and move a large group of people. Then revolution can happen. It's an intense force. It can move mountains, stir up low fares, and encourage revolution. I was also aware that you could just say, kill, and you know, so somehow the surge would happen. Of course, all of these observations on the power of music imply that something good or at least exciting is being produced. But keep in mind something very important here. Anything that has power for good has, by necessity, a corresponding potential for evil. Take, for example, religion. It can move people to greater love, self-control, and good works. Or it can inspire someone to drive a jet into the World Trade Center. And in just the same way, music, as well as other forms of popular art, can profoundly influence people's hearts and minds for good or for evil. You can't have one side of the coin without the other side potentially showing up as well. Music and vibrations are the basis of everything. They pervade everything. Human consciousness is reflected by them. Atoms are vibrations between positive and negative forces. Some very subtle, some complex, but it's all music. We don't have time to develop all the reasons why the walls of the city, as well as our lives, can be shaken by music. The bottom line is that from brain science to music therapy to tons of anecdotal evidence, one would have to be either naive or in willful denial to reject what renowned musicologist David Tame has observed. Music is the language of languages. It can be said that of all the arts, there is none that more powerfully moves and changes the consciousness. One last observation on this power before we move on. Richard Pellegrino is a medical doctor and a consultant to the entertainment industry. In an article for Billboard magazine, he noted how music interacts, often subconsciously, with receptors in the brain to produce endorphin highs, to trigger a flood of emotions and images that have the ability to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. He closed his commentary with the observation, take it from a brain guy. In 25 years of working with the brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way that one simple song can. The movie, Almost Famous, did a great job of illustrating this power to affect not only a person's state of mind, but even their entire destiny. It tells the true story of Cameron Crowe, a kid barely in his teens who became a writer for Rolling Stone. In this scene, his sister runs off to California with her boyfriend. Her parting advice to her little brother is to listen to some music she is leaving for him. Look under your bed. It'll set you free. That it will change him just like it changed her. As he reverently sorts through the records she's left behind, finds her note, and then follows her instructions to listen to the rock opera Tommy with the candle lit, the scene and the rest of the movie make it very clear that music has power. One could say a spiritual or religious power to change lives. Music is a way for uh, you know, us to express what's going on in our communities. Honestly, like I don't know what else we'd be doing right now. Music was our, our savior. Music is everything to us. Well, if music has this type of power, 
we need to ask ourselves, is this a power for good or for evil? Are the songs we listen to inspiring us to become better, more noble people? More honest, self-controlled, responsible, kind, intelligent, respectful, modest, well-spoken, courageous, and morally upright? These things may play out in some people's minds as not being very fun or cool, but deep down, we all know they're good, the stuff of heroes, and the way we should really be. Or on the other hand, is the music inspiring ideas and actions that are the opposite of these noble qualities. Things like impurity, rebellion, vulgarity, irresponsibility, anger, immodesty, and lack of self-control, to name just a few. For the vast majority of mainstream rock and rap music, the answer is pretty obvious. So obvious that people tend to either ignore the answer or opt for making fun of it. The devil's music. Popular culture jokes and even brags about rock and roll being, quote, the devil's music. We laugh it off because, come on, everybody really means well. We're just blowing off steam and having a good time. Everyone else is doing it. It's just a part of being young. Don't be uptight. It's only music. Well, if that's what you believe and you want to keep believing, I'm gonna warn you now, you're probably not gonna like what follows. We're about to analyze today's music using verses and principles from, of all places, the Bible. As the Word of God, the Bible is our best and most reliable guide for understanding the spiritual world and the invisible forces at work in our universe. That these forces exist is something that, again, when they're honest, many musicians openly acknowledge. We've always, in, within the band, said there is a fifth member, a, a mystical member, yeah. We would literally show up in a room and it was almost as if the songs were already written. When we first wrote this sort of music, we didn't even know what we were doing and we were oh God, this, we like this, you know, it's strange, but we like it. Yeah, although it is a rock and roll band, uh, there's a phenomenon involved there where that stuff just comes from somewhere and it just so happened that it, we, we happened to be the ones that it came to. Spiritual forces do exist, and spiritual laws rule the metaphysical realm just as surely as the laws of nature govern the physical world. There's any number of approaches we could use to examine our subject from the perspective of spiritual laws and God's Word. I've chosen the Ten Commandments and some of the stories and circumstances surrounding them for reasons that will become obvious later in the video most of us are at least somewhat familiar with the story. After helping free God's people from slavery to Pharaoh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and receives the two tables of the law. The commandments are to serve three functions. First, they contain the requirements of man's covenant, his official relationship with the one true God. He will be their God, they will be his people, and these are the standards they have to obey to hold up their end of the relationship. In this sense, they serve as a kind of wedding vow. Second, they lay out moral absolutes necessary to live a good life. They function like an owner's manual, something that the manufacturer has published that tells us how to care for and get the best possible performance out of their product. Do this and don't do that, and things will run the way they're supposed to. And lastly, they are a tool for detecting the spiritual sickness God calls sin. As St. Paul points out several times in his letter to the Romans, I would not have known sin except through the law. The law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, by the law, our offenses or our sins become more obvious to us that through the commandments, our sin might become exceedingly sinful. This brings out a critically important truth that we ignore at our own peril. The Bible takes great pains to describe man's condition as fallen, 
that we're drawn to sin like a moth to a flame. Why do they do that? Don't they see that their friends are getting zapped? I don't know. They must be stupid. Oh. Ooh. Sin. Original flavor, same price. Get stupid. As humans, we have a natural ability to find ways to either justify or ignore our sins. Left to ourselves, we would become increasingly blind concerning the true state of our souls as well as our need for a savior. The law is one of God's primary solutions to this dilemma. Like a CAT scan that can find the silent killer, the cancer, or the clogged artery, the commandments reveal the true state of our souls. Back to the story. After Moses gives the commandments to his people, God calls him back to the top of Mount Sinai. Forty days pass and the Israelites get restless. You can almost hear them wrestling in the same issues and doubts we struggle with today. Where is God? Where is the promise of his return? Does he really expect us to live a certain way? How come we're in this desert, this dry place? Where's the party? Isn't life about enjoying it? God understands. He's left us here to make the most of it, to find our own way. Then, in total violation of at least half of the commandments they had just been given, they fashioned for themselves an idol and began to play music, dance, and party. What began as an act of worship quickly mutated into a form of pagan idolatry. So the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and indulged themselves in pagan revelry. In other words, life in the presence of this new God they made is about satisfying their appetite for food, for fun, for doing whatever their sinful passions led them to do. Well, it might have been 3,500 years ago, but just add electricity and some modern technology, and what do you have? Hello, Woodstock, TRL, OzFest, Lollapalooza, the Up and Smoke Tour, and countless clubs, concerts, parties, homes, and cars throughout our modern world. Think I'm stretching the parallel? Many centuries after this incident at the base of Mount Sinai, God applied this same story to a whole new people in a whole new place. To the sophisticated Greeks at Corinth, the Bible warned. These events happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things or worship idols as some of them did. For the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged themselves in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. Well, what can we learn from their example? How, for instance, does our lifestyle and music measure up to theirs when it comes to the Ten Commandments? Let's look at some of them, starting with the last one and working our way backward. Number 10 states that we're not to covet, we're not to be obsessed with getting things, especially when those things begin to possess us and keep us from our duty to God and to acts of charity and mercy. Well, talk about missing the mark. Swimming in women with their own condominiums. Five plus fives who drive millenniums. It's all about the Benjamins. What? I get a 50-pound bag of for the mutts. Five carrots on my hands with the cuts. And something I want to Of course, it's not just in the arena of music. Our whole modern world seems to run on the principle of materialism and covetousness. But these things cut a pretty wide swath through the world of pop music. Madonna became famous as the material girl. From Michael Jackson to Elton John, rock stars have acquired lifestyles that demand millions of dollars a year, in Jackson's case, a month, to maintain. This spirit bleeds into their music and has helped spawn a culture where fans obsess over brand names and the facade of style over substance, appearance over character. 
Perhaps nowhere is this more obvious than in the world of rap and hip-hop. Stars flaunt their own brands of booze, $200 sneakers, and soft drinks. Soon, you too will be able to get your daily dose of pimp juice, which promises to give you that extra needed boost to keep you pimping throughout the day and wishing that you too had a 74 Designer SUVs, clothing lines, million dollar cribs, and enough bling bling to light the night sky have become the gold standard of success and significance in the world fashion by popular music. A question for you. Do you really think God the Son gave up everything to die on a bloody tree so that we could all aspire to drive a Benz, drink $100 bottle of cognac, and drape a 10-inch diamond-encrusted cross around our necks? It's something to think about. Skipping now to the Eighth Commandment's ban on stealing, one of the great ironies of our time is how an industry that has glorified nihilism, amorality, gang-banging, pimping, shoplifting, and a blank-the-world attitude towards civilization and the rule of law now finds itself threatened by digital file swapping and internet piracy. You know what, maybe I wouldn't have to whore myself out if the kids didn't steal my music. The lesson here? Well, if you live by the sword that was used to cut the reins of God's law, you're likely to die by it as well. When we get to the seventh commandment, the one that forbids adultery, it's hard to know even where to begin. A very important point here. By adultery, God is not just condemning unfaithfulness in marriage. When Jesus taught on the spirit behind the law, he declared that even lusting in one's heart is like adultery in the eyes of God. But I say to you that if you even look at a woman with lust in your eye, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. This you, Jesus speaking of here as well, you, single or married, lust and all sexual activity outside of marriage is an act of infidelity to both God, your spouse, and if you're single, your future spouse. There's lots of hot guys here tonight. Oh, but... I thought she was married. No, no, I'm sure married. Where's your ring, as a matter of fact? I, oh, I left in the jewelry cleaner. If I was your husband, I'd be whooping your no, ass right now. It's sin, a violation of the way things were meant to be. And it's condemned in the Bible in many places and in the strongest kind of language. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, impurity, lust, I tell you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, again, let's be honest. If you get rid of those four things, most bands and music networks are going to be scrambling hard for something to sing about or to shoot for their videos. Can you name three songs that you feel really encourage people to be sexually pure before marriage? Mm. Can't think of any right now. I'm serious. Name three songs. Whew. I don't think there really was one. <laughs> you mean rock and roll, huh? That's a tough one, though. Naming three songs like that. Actually, I can't really think of any. I can't think of any. There isn't any. Can you, can you give me two? Okay. You got me on that one. <laughs> I don't know. How about if you can give me just one song? Remain pure? And the mainstream right now, all the major music's all about sex. A lot of it's about sex. Hmm. You know what? I can't think of one off the, the top of my head, but uh, I went to church a few weeks ago and heard Amazing Grace, so uh, there we go. That's there you go. The beauty and joy of God-ordained sexuality has all but been lost. Love has been reduced to cheap and fleeting emotion fueled by hype and hormones. Innocence has been drowned. Fornication is portrayed as not only normal, it's cool. Something that all the stars and players are doing. 
women are treated as little more than sex objects to be handled, sold, consumed, and now even pimped. More and more, sexual boundaries are being blurred as the capacity to explore same-sex relationships is portrayed as glamorous, exciting, and bold. Even professing Christians are reduced to stripping for the camera, writhing in sexual abandon, and purring about lust and the sweetness of sin. On stage, artists simulate everything from masturbation to sodomy to bondage-oriented sex with a member of the audience. And in perhaps the cruelest irony of all, artists who've been fortunate enough to escape the poverty of America's inner cities, a poverty in large part fueled by the cycle of fatherlessness and illegitimacy, have gotten rich singing about, of all things, full-throttle sexual immorality. We could go on and on. What are you excited to see tonight? We got big, 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 big show. This is true. I'm excited about the import, the Russian import tattoo. Any chances you think they're going to make out? God, I hope so. And I hope that MTV doesn't cut away like the other networks. Our generation's appetite for shock and titillation has produced a culture of award shows and concerts and songs and music videos and TV shows and movies and art that glorifies sexual perversity to a degree that would have horrified even the idolaters of old as they partied around the golden calf. What about the Sixth Commandment? the prohibition against murder and violence. Once again, you don't have to look too hard to find songs and artists who have touched millions of lives with lyrics and lifestyles that glamorize brutality and death. The whole street-slash-gangster credibility issue in the world of rap and hip-hop is testimony enough to our blatant disregard for this commandment. Artists have a leg up on the competition because they've been shot. Guns are everywhere, and no one ever knows who's going to take a bullet next. And once again, when we get to the true heart of the matter and look at how Jesus applied this commandment, our sins become even more apparent. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. When we start talking about just spreading anger, well, like the commandment against sexual impurity, it's hard to even know where to begin. Another great spiritual law that has been ignored, broken, and trampled underfoot in today's pop music culture is the commandment to honor your father and mother. Rock and roll is supposed to bring you crazed joy and rebellion for no apparent reason. That's what it started out as music to your parents off. Not only are parents routinely dishonored and ridiculed as being domineering, ignorant, out of touch and generally clueless, at times they even become the objects of twisted, fifth commandment shattering fantasy. Father, yes son, I want to kill you. Shut up slut, you're causing too much chaos, just bend over and take it like a slut, okay ma? While these lyrics may have been meant to be taken symbolically or as a form of catharsis, more than a few people have found something more dangerous in these types of messages. 
For example, Spin Magazine reported that a 16-year-old boy by the name of Brian Bassett killed both his parents, put on Israel's son by Silverchair, and kicked his dead father in time with the music. And like the other commandments we've looked at, its spiritual application involves far more than just love and respect for one's parents. The Westminster Confession, one of the great historical creeds of the church, states that this law also demands that we honor our superiors with all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, that we obey their lawful commands and counsels. In other words, honoring our father and mother also forbids anarchy, lawlessness, and rebellion. Once again, when we consider the culture of rock and rap, we can ask quite literally, what in hell is going on? As we move to the last four commandments, we discover the most important aspect of man's moral responsibilities, the way we relate to God himself. And like in every commandment that we've looked at so far, the trend is not just to break the laws of God, it's to shatter them. Many people tend to reduce the third commandment to a cartoon, a mere ban on using God's name as a curse or a vain expletive. Look at your boots. In the same way, the ban on graven images is watered down to being simply a matter of bowing before pagan idols. Incredibly, there's enough of even this type of gross idolatry going on to astonish even the most seasoned Christian missionary. But the real heart of these commandments, like in the others we've looked at, exposes a dimension of sin that's far closer to where many of us live. To take God's name in vain means literally to carry or invoke the name of the Lord in an unworthy or hypocritical fashion. First and foremost, I want to thank God Without him, none of this would be possible. And thank God. And I thank the Lord. Grateful to God. I have to thank God. I'd like to thank God. To thank God. To thank God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. First and foremost, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, that thong, for thong, thong, thong. From award shows to concerts and interviews. Lord Jesus, it is you who wakes me up every day. To songs and videos to album dedications. Artist after artist, thank God for his blessing and guidance, and for what? To help them create both music and a lifestyle that celebrates the very sins that nailed Jesus to a bloody cross? This vain use of God's name has sunk to the point where some of the biggest artists in rap and hip-hop include in their entourage a self-professed minister who's an unrepented ex-pimp that talks about toting the Lord around as if he's some cosmic rabbit's foot. Keep God involved, you know what I mean, like I tell the crook. When you go into the store, take God in with you, because one thing about it is, if you take God with you, you can be sure of a good outcome. No need to repent of fornication, pimping, treating women like cattle, or using alcohol and drugs to lure underage girls to strip for their videos. It's all good. It's all church. church. According to the bishop and his rap disciples, as long as we keep God in everything we do and we try to be more positive than negative. No doubt even the worst idolaters in the Old Testament would have been struck dumb at the prospect of rapping about God and faith. I say a prayer to the Lord just to keep my faith while bragging about violating and controlling women like so many demons on a leash. Will you steal for me? Yes, I will. Will you kill for me? Yes, I will. Would you lie to me? Never. Would you die for me? Whatever. Will you steal for me? Though no friend of the biblical worldview, Marilyn Manson hit the nail on the head when he observed after one award ceremony, 
It was rather ironic that teenage girls with breast implants and rappers with violent and misogynistic lyrics spent the whole night thanking Jesus Christ of all people. It is clearly by unchristian means that these alleged friends of God have made their millions. As for making graven images and bowing down to them, Anytime we reject the God who is and instead try to remake him in our image to make him conform to our preferences, we're breaking the second commandment. And so multitudes in our culture today, often led by the Pied Pipers of music and other forms of popular art, have in reality fashioned for themselves an idol, a God who simply doesn't exist. Among the more popular false gods trotted out today are a cosmic Santa Claus, a man upstairs who's willing to overlook our rebellion, the ultimate touchy-feely relativist and egalitarian who only cares if people are sincere, who sees all religions as being the same, and who will welcome everybody to his shiny, happy heaven. On and on it goes. Artist after artist and song after song preach the temporary joys of sin while tipping their hat to an idol that simply doesn't exist. But it's when we get to the first and most important commandment that everything comes into sharp focus. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship any other gods besides me. The phrase in the original Hebrew doesn't mean that God is the first in the whole lineup of competing gods and allegiances, although even that would be at least a start for many today. Rather, God is to be everything, the very ground of our being and there's to be no other competing God or allegiance in his sight. Well, like the idolaters who partied around the golden calf, competing gods and allegiances are everywhere. We have fashioned a world, a lifestyle, and a moral system after the image of our own desires. And we can skip over the more obvious suspects in our modern pantheon of false gods and allegiances. The drugs, the immodesty, the materialism, the laziness, the worship of musicians, actors, and athletes, our fascination with the occult, nihilism, stupidity, androgyny, sexual idolatry, and false religions. The mother of all idolatry is the one that's so common and accepted. It doesn't even show up on most of our radar screens. And that is the idol of self or self-will what the Satanist and favorite prophet of the rock world, Aleister Crowley, summed up in his Magna Carta. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Contrary to Hollywood, Halloween, and popular opinion, being satanic has little to do with devil worship or human sacrifice. The Bible defines it as simply pride, wanting to live one's own life according to one's own ideas and desires. And it's interesting to note that those who have openly rejected Christianity and have embraced the occult say precisely the same thing. You're worshiping yourself when you worship Satan. As Marilyn Manson noted in his autobiography, Satanism is about worshiping yourself because you are responsible for your own good and evil. We feel that uh, all religions are coming around to Satanism. We're in the very throes of a new satanic age. The evidence is all around us. All we have to do is look at it. And we feel that there is no reason why these people shouldn't just flip the coin completely over and simply call themselves what religion has called them for many, many years. Call them devil worshippers or disciples of evil or Satanists. Of course, it's very hard for a person to hang an uncomplimentary label on themselves. And for this reason, for many years, there will be people practicing Satanism as good Christians or other religions and they will instinctively pursue the very same things that we are as they always have. Jesus was perhaps never more prophetic than when he announced, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. 
These words were echoed by the occult magazine Gnosis. If there's anything horrifying in its teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves. Yes, many of us, perhaps even most of us, still pay lip service to the God of Heaven, but notice something very important here. So did they. On the eve of their idolatrous festival, the man who fashioned the golden calf announced, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. In other words, hey, our hearts are in the right place. We're cool with God. We're just expressing it in our own way. Well, they couldn't have been more wrong and more deceived. And that same deception continues today. Pop quiz. Out of these three platinum-selling divas, which two are professing Christians? Artists who have spoken openly and even forcefully about their faith and love for Jesus. As if to punctuate the absurdity of it all, they finished their now infamous opening act for the 2003 MTV Video Music Awards by echoing the foundational doctrine of sin and yes, even Satanism, that we are to determine for ourselves what is ultimately right and wrong. We're bored with the concept of right and wrong. The wise man that God used to write the book of Proverbs observed that there is no new thing under the sun. The window dressing of our rebellion has changed. It's now digitized and electrified. We have more ways to explore our capacity for sin, more choices, faster and more efficient technology. But in the end, 3,500 years has changed very little. Men and women still invent their own morality and their own ideas about what God is like. They still party around their idols. They still turn from the true God the God who is, and they still break His commandments. Let's now close by looking at God's solution to this moral crisis. Seeing the bacchanal in full swing, the Lord tells Moses to go down at once, for your people have corrupted themselves. Moses and Joshua began their descent and at some point, the sounds of the party reached their ears. It's interesting to note that the younger Joshua mistook the noise for something else. There is a noise of war in the camp. The more experienced leader then corrected his young disciple. It is not the noise of war. It is the noise of song and revelry. Moses, of course, was right. But Joshua, in a sense, was right as well. The music that rose up from the people's rebellion was the sound of people making war against God and his righteous standards. Even its tone and timbre took on the feel of angry, warlike music, a declaration that they will not have God rule over them to keep them from what their hearts and their flesh wanted them to do. When Moses reached ground zero, he took the tables of the law and threw them to the ground, symbolizing how the people had shattered God's commandments. It's what he did next, however, that reveals the mercy of God and the price the Lord himself was to later pay to atone for, to wipe away the sins of anyone who would repent and turn back to God. The Bible says that Moses took the idol they had made and burned it in the fire and crushed it and ground it very, very small until it was as fine as dust and then scattered the dust on the water and made the Israelites drink it. This curious passage contains a wonderful truth, a symbol really that wouldn't be understood scientifically until over 3,000 years later. What Moses did by the supernatural leading of God 
was to make a form of colloidal gold gold particles between 10 and 100 nanometers in size that go into suspension when dissolved in water and what's even more incredible is what happens to the appearance of the water when this solution is formed because of what scientists now term surface plasma oscillation the microscopic particles of gold turn the water a surprising color blood red in fact the intense red colors in stained glass windows during the Middle Ages were made using colloidal gold and a process very similar to the one pioneered by Moses. And so God, through his servant, created one of the most vital and enduring symbols in all the Bible, a picture of people coming to a river of blood to be cleansed from their sins. Many centuries later, this symbol was fulfilled when God became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. As you've probably heard, this amazing man demonstrated who he was and the supernatural origins of his message, not just through wise words. Though they remain by almost universal consensus the wisest ever taught, but by miracles, by fulfilling prophecy, including the manner and timing of his own death, and most importantly of all, by rising again from the dead. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin and die so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The exchange, our sin for his perfection and righteousness was made effective through the sacrifice, the pouring out of his life, his blood on the cross. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The bloody river and all the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament temple system all pointed to the horror of sin and the terrible penalty for violating God's commandments. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified by the sprinkling with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And there we have it, the basic message of the Bible. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have violated God's righteous commands more times than we can number. All of us have sought to live life on our own terms rather than God's. If we were able to take our spiritual pulse, what many of us would hear in our music, but most importantly in our lives, is the steady beat of, my will be done, my will be done, my will be done. And this is the heart of what it means to be a sinner, to be spiritually dead and a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. Follow your heart, do what is right in your own eyes. Let your will be done. Jesus came to deliver man from the power of self and sin, to open our eyes so that we might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God in order that we may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are consecrated and purified by faith in Christ. Jesus was and is the light of the world, the destroyer of darkness, the epic hero who used the cross to crush the one who had the power of sin. And when confronted with the horror of becoming sin and dying on a cross, Christ modeled the ethos of the faith that now bears his name. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Which spiritual pulse courses through your life? My will be done or God's will be done? And it's the answer to that question that separates the sheep from the goats, the children of light from the children of darkness. And it's your answer to that question that will determine your eternal destiny. In the end, the music we listen to is really incidental, just a useful tool in diagnosing the true condition of our souls. It won't be what's in your CD player that will condemn you on Judgment Day. It will be a heart and a life that has rejected the cross, that has chosen to embrace a my will be done way of life. We now close with the simple words of Jesus 
and one of the most well-known, beloved, as well as ignored passages in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed and reproved. But he who does what is true comes out into the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been wrought in God. My will or thy will? In contemporary terms, Rock's most respected troubadour, Bob Dylan, perhaps said it best. In conclusion, I want to make myself clear on something. We've openly talked and had to share some pretty harsh truths about some of the artists and their music throughout this video. But I want to let you know that it is not our personal intention to attack anyone. God loves these people. But the fact remains that truth, real truth, sometimes can seem harsh. But it is that kind of truth that we need in our lives. Life-changing truth. It is my hope and my prayer that you've been enlightened, encouraged, and also challenged. Challenged to take a look at your own life and see where you measure up on the bar of standards and laws that God has laid out for us. You see, you have to ask yourself, what kind of person am I? Am I the kind of person that has come to the river of blood, willing to give my life over to Christ so that His will be done? Or are you like the idolaters of Moses' time, who have only sought out to fulfill their own desires, that their will be done. Throughout this time, if you've come to that conclusion that you are like the idolaters of Moses' time, I want to let you know something. Eternal life is available to you right now. And the way to get that eternal life is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that His will be done in your life. God stands ready to forgive you. He wants to wash you and he wants to give you a new heart and give you a new life. The river is here and his grace is sufficient. If you want to experience the miracle of this new beginning, all you need to do is turn away from your sin and turn to God in faith and pray this prayer with me now. Heavenly Father, I come before your throne of grace in and through the name of your son, Jesus. I want to first tell you how sorry I am for my rebellion and sin, in my thoughts and words, in the things I've done and left undone, I've broken your righteous commandments. I'm sorry and by your grace, purpose to turn from the path I've been on, to turn from all my sins and instead love and follow you with all of my heart soul, and strength. I thank you for loving me while I was yet a sinner and sending Jesus to save me. According to your word, I believe and confess that he was crucified for my sins, raised from the dead for my salvation, and glorified at your right hand so that one day I can worship you in heaven. I boldly and fervently declare that Jesus is now the Lord and Savior of my life. Take all that I am and ever will be and use it for your glory. So be it. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, you're now a child of God and you're embarked on a whole new life. Now there are some very practical things the Lord has told us to do 
to make sure that life was full of joy and victory. Allow me and some other Christian friends to share with you nine simple keys for building a life and a godly inheritance that will last forever. Hi, my name is Bruce, and God set me free from hardcore Satanism and a devotion to occult philosophy. I want to encourage you to dive into the Word of God to, as the Bible says, renew your mind and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. As this video series has made clear, there's a lot of brainwashing going on in this world. If you are going to grow in your faith, you need not only to shut off the sewer line of pop culture, you also need God to flush out the sewage with the living waters of His truth. As Jesus prayed concerning His disciples, Sanctify them, Lord, or make them holy in Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Become a student of God's word, and the truth will set you free. Hi, my name is Kelsey, and Jesus Christ completely delivered me from what I thought was a hopeless addiction to crack cocaine. Now you've just seen in this video series how powerful music can be. Well, whatever evil flows through bad music, a far greater good is manifested through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Become a worshiper. Listen to music that, as Bach said, gives glory to God. And take time daily, if possible, to lift up your heart in song to the Lord. He who sings to God, the early church said, prays twice. Hi, my name is Joy, and I was blessed to grow up in a strong Christian home and come to know the Lord at a very young age. I want to encourage you to spend time with God in prayer. When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, the first thing He said was, Our Father. As born-again Christians, we have a Father who loves us infinitely more than any human father ever could. Can you imagine a good father who doesn't love to spend time with his kids? Well, God wants to spend time with you, to love on you, to help you, to change you more and more into His image. And prayer, along with worship and the Word, is the best way that you can do this. And on top of this, prayer is the most powerful way that we can work with God to change the world. Hi, my name is Louie, and Jesus freed me from a 10-year drug habit my sophomore year in college. I want to challenge you to watch over your soul. God's command is to come out from among them, the pagan world, and touch nothing unclean, to set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to expose them. And here's the radical verse for you, to hate the work of those who fall away. There are hundreds of similar verses in the Bible, all telling us the same thing, that as believers we are not to, on a personal level, take in anything that is offensive to God. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're to retreat into impotent little subcultures. Rather, we're called to transform our world as ambassadors of His kingdom, to be like Jesus, a friend of sinners, in order to lead them back to God. But on a personal level, for example, in the area of our leisure time and the entertainments that we enjoy, we simply cannot compromise by fellowshipping with darkness. There's a poem I've learned that pretty much says everything in regard to this key area of Christian discipleship. There are two natures that beat within my breast. One is foul and the other blessed. One I love and one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. Feed and care for your soul. It's the only one you've got and its condition will determine your reward in eternity. Hi, my name is Gabriella, and the Lord delivered me from a prison of sexual abuse and rape a sin that has victimized women in my family for generations. I want to challenge you to be radical in your service for God. You know the old saying, the best defense is a good offense? Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, having conquered sin and Satan, and being crowned the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, He commissioned His disciples, and that includes you, to go. Christianity is not about getting saved and then twiddling your spiritual thumbs while waiting for the rapture. Every Christian has a part to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Find out what yours is 
and then throw yourself into it with all your heart, mind, and strength. Don't settle for an average life. Lose your life for His sake, and then you will find one that will shine forever. Hello, my name is Chris, and God delivered me from an aimless life of drinking, partying, and drug abuse. If you're a child of God, you are now part of a huge extended family that reaches around the world. Well, family life is meant to be shared. If you're a new Christian, find a good church that can be your immediate family and then really get involved. And by a good church, I mean a congregation where the people are really excited about God, not just going through the motions, where the Bible is honored as the true and inerrant Word of God, where there is discipleship, God-honoring worship, and a real commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission. Join the team and get with the program. Hello, my name is Mike, and Christ set me free from the lie of doing my own thing and thinking I was saved because I went to church and loved gospel music. I want to encourage you to be a living, breathing ambassador for Jesus and His kingdom. To this end, while what we say is important, the way we live our lives is the real bottom line. Like St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, and if need be, use words. By His grace, strive to live a life of integrity, honesty, love, and service. And one more thing in this regard, don't be afraid to be different from the world around you. God has called us to be a peculiar people in the same sense that the fish swimming up the river seems peculiar to those that just go with the flow. So I also want to encourage you, don't allow the fallen world system to brainwash you and press you into its mold and strive to bring every thought captive in obedience to Christ. From education, dating, marriage, finances, fashion, politics, entertainment, you name it, we need to be leaders, living examples of a transformed life. Hello, my name is Julie, and Jesus saved me out of the darkness of idolatry and false religion. I want to encourage you to become a reader. It's no accident that Jesus was the Word made flesh and that reading and writing have always been central to the Judeo-Christian experience. Believers need to be able to give an answer to every man to defend the faith and provide real solutions to the world's questions and needs. A great place to start as a reader is with the writings of C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. From poetry to prose, philosophy to apologetics, we need to recover the lost tools of learning and raise again the standard of Christian scholarship. And don't be intimidated by the classics of literature and theology. If you chew strong meat long enough, your jaws will toughen up. Remember this, readers are leaders and TV watchers are bottom feeders. Hello, my name is Tehran and God set me free from a life of sex, drugs, and living in rebellion. I want to encourage you to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Jesus declared that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Gates are not offensive weapons, they're defensive. They're designed to keep out a people sent by God to plunder hell and bring out many who are yet in darkness. Be one of those people. Don't let the evil and moral decay around us, like some of the stuff you see in this video, intimidate you. Run to the roar. Commit yourself to being the salt and light God created you to be. You'll not only honor your Heavenly Father, you'll not only experience His power and joy, but friend, you'll be in for the time of your life. May God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.
sand Clothes too thin to fit So the God I send Words of help to win He grumbling so deep Letters can never express So the sounds of ooh are beneath my breath I'm like